Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today, an opportunity to come together and worship, an opportunity to uh, gather together with fellow believers in Jesus Christ, where we can, we can sing praises to you, we can hear from you in your word, God, that you can um, unite our hearts together, and as we unite our hearts together, we unite our praises together to reflect back to you your, your value and your worth. Lord, I... I ask for help this morning. Um, we've been going through a season, God, where we've, we've had a concentrated effort on, on you coming and revealing sin to us, where we've asked for you to um, keep the enemy at bay away from us. Lord, we've, we've prayed for help. We've prayed for vision. We've prayed for um, a desire and that we would be used by you during this month of August. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, as we go into this, this kind of new season, um, this fall for our lives, that you would awaken our affections for Jesus and awaken our, our eyes to the opportunities before us. Help me, Father. Um, I, kn- I know that there's, there's nothing I can say without the aid of the Spirit. And so I pray, Spirit, that you would come, not only help me have the words to say, but... Help all of us have the ears to hear from you this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Brian said, we're not in 1 John today. Um, We're going to be in the book of Acts. So if you don't have a Bible, you can reach down underneath you and grab the little green-yellow book there and and open it up to Acts. Um, That's just the New Testament, so it'll, it'll be the fifth book in there. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. You probably can't see unless you have maybe a miner's hat on, so we're going to get a light on for you. So you can, so you can, there we go. Um, uh, we're, we're not in First John. We've been going through First John for a while. And so we're going to take just a, a, a break, a, a short break. Um, but today we're going to be in Acts. And the reason why we're going to be in Acts is because we're finishing up, as I said, what we've been doing called an August fast. Um, we've been fasting during the month of August. And if you want to participate in this, it's still not too late. You can participate with us this coming Wednesday. You can walk out here to the information table and you can see the prayer guide where we we have an emphasis that you can fast on the day of Wednesday, and you can, you can be a part of that, and you can see why we're doing it, what fasting is all about. If you want to, uh, I, pre- I preached on it about three weeks ago, and you can go download that sermon off iTunes and, and, and be a part of it this coming Wednesday. Um, this Wednesday, we have corporate prayer. We want to invite you to that. More about that later. Um, next week, we're going to talk about community, and then the next couple weeks after that, we're going to be talking... Um, about our core values as a church. We're going into the fall, and as we go into the fall, I like to, every single fall, just kind of remind us um, what are our core values of the church, what are the things that we want to be about as we go into the next year. So that's, that's kind of the schedule right now as we're going into some more things. So we'll be back into 1 John after that, back into 1 John after that. Um, so what we're doing now is looking at Acts chapter 16. Um, and the reason why we're doing this is this. As we've been going through 1 John, we've been talking a lot about assurance of faith, assurance of salvation, assurance that those things are true in your life. And so what I want to do today is um, assurance of salvation is kind of a, little, a, a real narrow topic to be talking about. And so um, what I want to do today is we've been going through the fast and just kind of pull us back with a big, broad perspective of Christianity. And not just Christianity, but particularly your faith. So we're going to be looking at a, a narrative today, a story in, in Acts, and we're just going to be looking at this guy named Paul. Paul's a, uh, a Christian, and 
We're going to be looking at some things that happened in his life as he was kind of walking through as he was going to this town called Philippi. And as we're looking at these things that happened to his life, um, what I want us to do, we're going through um, this August fast and I just want to kind of take a step back and say, all right, all of us have this new season right now that we're going into. The fall is always a new season. You've got new classes or new friends or new work or there's all kinds of new things happening. So I want you to kind of take a step back and just examine your life in light of these four things we're going to see today and just just rate yourself or, or take a test to yourself or, or look at yourself and say, all right, how am I doing in regard to these things? What can I change? How can I get better? And what, does, what is the Holy Spirit telling me as we're going into this fall that I can be thinking about? And that's what we're going to be doing. We're going, we're, as I said, we're going to be going back to First John later. So in, li- in light of the fast and in light of these things, we're going to be taking a broad view um, and see how we're doing. Now, I have season passes to Carowinds, and I'm not sure whether that's a blessing or a curse, but I somehow end up with these things every week, every, every year. I'm just kidding. It's great. Um, my wife in the back is like, what are you saying? Uh, she loves Carowinds. And my four children, well, I guess the fourth one doesn't really know anything about it. But um, So... Anyway, whenever we go to Carowinds, we don't ever get to ride any of the awesome rides because we've got you know, six-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, and they always want to go to Kitty Land. Um, and so we walk around Kitty Land, and I don't know if you've ever been to Kitty Land, but um, occasionally you'll see a child, a child walking around Kitty Land that's kind of lost. And so if you if you just kind of watch, and, and there's some great opportunities for some fun people watching at Carowinds. There's, it's an interesting place. This, I must be at Carowinds. There it is. Anyway, so... Um, if you look around, you can every once in a while, y'all know what I'm saying if you've been there, it kind of has that smell of redneck and suntan lotion and um, I'm from the south, so um, you can see a child and you can see there's a moment where they get off a ride and they don't know where their parents are and all of a sudden the, the, the look of sheer terror comes into their eyes. They don't know where their parents are. And if you've ever noticed that, it's, it's a scary situation, especially for a four, five, and six-year-old, where they have this, this look of terror in their eyes um, because they're lost and they need to be found. And, and here's the thing. As, you're, as we're going through life, um, people who don't know Jesus, maybe even unbeknownst to them, they don't know it, um, have in their mind or as they're walking, and you can just see it in their eyes, there's this sense of lostness and there's a sense of where there, there's some terror in their eyes because they know that something's not right. Something's not happening in their life the way that it should be happening. Um, so as we go into here, I, I want us to kind of think, there are people always around me that I, I have in front of me that I need to be able to talk to. And whether they realize it or not, terror could be in their eyes. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now, this is about um, a guy named Paul. And as I said, um, this, is right, this is after Jesus' death um, and resurrection. So Jesus had been ascended into heaven. Um, and so Paul was converted by Jesus. Paul decided that he hated Christians. This is before, actually. So he decided he hated Christians and he wanted to go around and kill them all. And so one day he's walking down this road and a big, huge light shines in his face. And it says, Paul, why are you, Saul, why are you persecuting persecuting me and he said who are you lord and then go to this town over here he goes to the town and he becomes a christian so then instead of killing christians he becomes one of the greatest missionaries for christianity ever writing um, a lot of the new testament um, that we're looking at so th- this story here in acts the book of acts is after jesus was resurrected this is kind of the story of how the church began and so this is a story of paul going from city to city to city starting uh 
where there would probably be some Jewish people trying to tell them about Jesus, trying to find some converts, and as he would try to find some converts, hopefully start a church, plant a church, and then leave, and then go to another city. And that's that's kind of where we're picking up. Paul's going into a city called Philippi, and he's wanting to start a church. And as we'll see, his first three converts are a lady named Lydia that sells linen, um, a lady that has a spirit of divination, meaning she can foretell the future, and then a a Roman jailer. That's, That's his church plant core group. Um, so as we're seeing that, we're, we're picking up as he's uh, walking to the place of prayer in 16. Um, the conversion of Lydia has already happened in verses 11 through 15. So we're starting at 16. In Philippi, Paul's going there with, it's Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, that we know of, at least those four. Um, two of them are Jews, two of them are Gentiles. So here we go. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, means uh, she had probably a demon possession and she had the ability to foretell the future. Like really, not for fake, like on the TV where they like, send me your money and then they go bankrupt and like, didn't you see you're going to go bankrupt? Not that kind of person, but a real spirit of divination. And it says here, and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So we can see here that she's actually a slave of two other people that make the money. So she actually doesn't even make any money. She's got the gift, makes nothing. They make the money. And it says here that they, she followed Paul and us, so all three of them, crying out. So Paul's wanting to go to Philippi. He's looking for some converts. He's excited. All right, new city. Let's get some converts. That's kind of Paul. He's always excited about things like that. And he walks into 17. It says, she followed Paul and us crying out. So She's at the top of her voice. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, that wouldn't get too bad if it was just the one time. But look what it says here. And she kept, and, and this she kept doing for many days. Now, hearing the same thing over and over, even though it's true, for many days becomes, I would think, quite annoying. Um, it, it, it would drive you crazy if you're walking around trying to tell people about Jesus and you got the crazy woman. These people are men of the Most High God proclaiming new way of salvation. These men are most. I'm just following you around, and you're like, "All right, um, could you be could you be quiet?" So we can see there is an increase of angst inside of Paul because it says here, um, Paul having become greatly annoyed. So he's very very annoyed at this this lady just yelling in his ear, um, and so. He turned to, and look, this is really, this is really cool. Um, it says, and he said to the spirit, he didn't yell at her because Paul had a level of discernment to know that there was a, there was something deeper. There was something greater. There was, it wasn't just this woman, that there was something inside of her that was causing this. And he said, he, he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He didn't yell at her and tell her to be quiet and say, stop t- following me around. Um, he didn't say, could you, you know, could you bother, stop bothering me and go over there? He looked straight to the problem and he says to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. All right, so um, what we're looking at here in this, this narrative, in this story, are some things that kind of mark Christianity. What are some things that, that, are, that are marks of, of a person? And we know Paul was very intentional after he got converted about the way he lived his Christian life. So we're going to look at some things here, and hopefully as we look at these four things that are going on with Paul, then we can make some applications to ourselves. Now, all four of these will not look like yours. These four things look like Paul's things, all right? So as we're looking at them, hopefully you're going to be able to pull the th- these four things out and say, how does this look for me? Because it's not going to always look like for me like it does for Paul, clearly, because none of us are Paul. 
But what does it look like for you? So here's the first thing. Here's the first thing we can get when he he addresses the spirit and drives the spirit out. Here's the first thing. An intentional Christian life must rely on Christ's power in every situation. An intentional Christian life must rely on Christ's power in every situation. Now, I want to kind of unpack this a little bit. In in Acts chapter 9, I just kind of referenced Paul's conversion, but in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, Luke, who who, who wrote the book of Acts, gives us a little bit of insight about Paul at his conversion. Um, and so when we read Luke 9.17, as we continue reading the book of Acts, Luke wants us to remember, even when we see this thing in Acts 16, or even whenever we see in Acts 17, when he addresses the Areopagus, um, that everything that, that Paul is doing is in light of Acts 9.17. Look what Acts 9.17 says. Whenever he went to Ananias, and Ananias laid his hand on Paul, and he got his sight back, it says, So Ananias departed into the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight, and look, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, not only whenever we say that an intentional Christian is relying on Christ's power in every situation... I want to kind of restate number one just a little bit so it's a little bit more 21st century or at least a little more in our context so we can know what we can know what that means. What does that mean to have um, a reliance on Christ's power in every situation? Here it is. Restated number one. An intentional Christian lives a Holy Spirit filled life. An intentional Christian lives a Holy Spirit filled life. So what does that mean? What does that mean day to day for you? Because you can, if you're a Christian, you're going to say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to live a Holy Spirit-filled life. What does that mean? Well, um, in Acts, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 5, in Ephesians 5.18, there's a verse that tells us, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's making a, conver- a comparison here when he says, instead of um, being filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with wine, this thing, this outside thing comes into your body, and if you're filled with it, you're, you're filled with wine which leads to debauchery, it's going to be the outside thing that controls you. It's going to cause you to make decisions. It's going to take your inhibitions down and you're going to make bad choices because you are now filled with it which leads to debauchery. Don't do that. But in the same way, in the same way that wine would fill you and cause you to make choices, an outside thing doing it, instead, be filled with the Spirit which now controls you, which helps you make decisions. Not bad decisions, but good decisions. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a passive command in Ephesians 5.18. Passive meaning um, it's happening to you. So still, not that much help. (laughs) Not that much help. I'm telling you to be filled with it. All right, what does that mean? Because it's passive. Well, in Ephesians chapter 3... Um, after, or right before Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18, he gives us a little bit of more insight to it in Ephesians chapter 3, picking up at verse 17 through 19. So here's what Ephesians 3 says, 17 through 19. Now, he's praying for the Ephesians, and we're going to see some similar language like being filled. This is what he says in Ephesians 3.17, talking about being filled with, um, I'm sorry, t- praying for them, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. So he's talking to Christians and he's saying, I want you to understand and know something. What is it that I want you to know and understand? With everybody else that's a believer, we should all know and understand this thing. And here it is. What is the breadth 
and length and height and depth of the love of Christ and to know the love of Christ. So, all right, now he's given us a little bit of insight. Paul wants us to know the breadth, the length, the height and the depth of the love of Christ. What does that have to do with being filled with the Holy Spirit? Look what he says. That surpasses knowledge. And here it is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, that sounds a lot like being filled with the spirit. So a way that we can be filled with the spirit is that we would not just kind of passively say, "Okay, God, I want to be filled with the spirit. Dear Jesus, fill me with the Holy Spirit today. Just let it happen. There's that's a passive command, but there's some there's some active part on our role, which is Ephesians is telling us to know Christ's love. Know it. Saturate your mind and your heart and your soul in things that tell you about the love of Christ. Specifically at the cross, paid for at your, for your sin. That will, as Ephesians 3 is telling us, start filling us with all the fullness of God if we do that. So let, let me read a text to you. Um, I've read this, I think I even read it last week, but I want to read it again. Um, in Romans chapter 8, where Paul talks about the love of Christ. This is Romans chapter 8, starting at 37. Starting at 37. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So now we're thinking on the love of Christ already. In order to be filled with the Spirit. And he says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you have put your faith in Christ, the love of God has been poured out onto you in such a way that there is no separation from it. Faith in Jesus and His work on the cross. Faith in... <laughs> this is a little rabbit trail. I'm going to run down it just for a second. Um, because it can be... It can be so kind of subjective that we don't know what it means. And I was just thinking about this yesterday. I went to a, I went to a, uh, man, I got to be careful here. I went to a funeral yesterday and it was kind of off in Podunk Land, South Carolina, um, far from here. And the funeral was done by Pastor Pam. And so Pastor Pam did the funeral for a guy that we're pretty sure may not have known Christ. But the, uh, the funeral was Jesus died on the cross so that we can have heaven. And so it was just kind of this universal, universalistic application of heaven to everybody. And so we know that he's in heaven. It, it, was, it was really strange. And so um, if we believe. And so I started thinking, what, is, what, what are they saying? What is she saying when she says believe? And so I told Christy, um, after the funeral, I'm going to go talk to Pastor Pam about her view of salvation. And so I'm over there afterwards. And so Christy looks up and she sees me talking to Pastor Pam and she's actually afraid that I'm doing that. But I wasn't. I was just, I was just asking her how long she'd been at the church. But, so I'm asking her, um, you know, how that... But anyway, I, what I was trying to think is, what is it that you think belief does? Is it just, is it just belief in God? What does it mean when we say believe? It's not that we just believe in God or we just believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe a guy named Jesus lived. It's not this kind of subjective sense. It's what am I, what is, what is the object of my belief? What am I putting my faith in? Belief and faith are the same word. What is it that we're believing in? We are believing in Jesus' work on the cross for us on our behalf. 
we've got to be real specific. When we say, just believe, then people think, well, if I believe in God, then yeah, I'm going to heaven. It's belief in His work on the cross. If His work on the cross, if He took all of the wrath of God for me on my behalf, and because He lived a perfect life, imputes all of His righteousness to me, if we believe in that, then we are saved. So we need to, we need to kind of put a little bit more definition whenever we say that. So that's what we're talking about here. Whenever we believe in Christ and His work on the cross, that's when we start understanding the love of Christ for us because our understanding of our sin, our understanding of our lostness, our understanding of our vast separation from God, we start understanding the love of Christ for us, we'll find ourselves being filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul had a massive understanding of this in Acts 16 because before that, he was present killing Christians. Killing them. I've never killed anybody i'm assuming none of us have especially trying to kill christians because we hated them and yet paul used him so none of us none of us have done something so horrible that we're out of the grasp or out of the usefulness of god to be used by him for glorious things all right so here we are in act 16 and this is let's let's kind of keep moving here 19 says this 19 is going to turn bad um the 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 slave owner's girl uh slave owner's I'm sorry, the, the girls' owners started getting a little bit upset because Paul just took away their means of money. So these two guys, these two you know, owners are, are getting upset. And it says in 19, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace. So now we can see Paul has, has cast this, this spirit out of this woman. She no longer is able to foretell the future. And so when that happens... Um, these two guys can't make money anymore. They, they were living it up. They were buying all the stuff they wanted. They were, you know, had big trucks or whatever. And all of a sudden they can't do that anymore. They have no idea how they're going to pay for it. So they, they, they get a little bit upset at Paul. And so they kind of start making up some stories. And look what it says. Their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas. Interesting that they seized Paul and Silas. I already told us that Timothy and Luke were there as well. They seized the two Jewish people and not the two Gentiles. More on that in a second. And dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them into the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Some translations may say, throwing our city into confusion. (laughs) And so, I don't know if that's actually what they were doing. They were really just telling people about Jesus. Um, And then they start lying here in verse 21. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowds joined in and attacking them. So the crowds um, in this marketplace, these two slave owners are kind of getting mad at Paul and Silas and they're, start, they're starting to lie and you can see all the people start crowding. It's like at middle school when there's a fight. They say, fight, fight! And everybody runs over there and want, they want to watch and not help. Um, it's kind of like everybody runs over there and wants to see what's going on. Um, and it says, the crowd joined in and attacked them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave the orders, and here it is, to beat them with rods. And whenever they had inflicted many blows, and, and some of the commentators said actually on their uncovered backs, took rods and just, just whipped them, just, just really, really beat them up bad upon them and threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. All right, so here's the second thing. Here's the second thing that kind of marks an intentional Christian life. And I'm going, to, I'm going to clarify it in just a second. Here's the second thing. Christians are sure to suffer for the cause of Christ in their lives. Christians are sure to suffer for the cause of Christ in their lives. 
Now, suffering will look different for everyone. I mean, here in this instance, right here, Paul and Silas are getting beat up and Timothy and Luke are not. So I'm not saying by any means that everyone here, unless you're you know, having your clothes ripped off of you and you're getting beat up by sticks, you're not living a Christian life. I'm not saying that at all. More than likely, for all of us, that's not going to happen. Unless we find ourselves in other countries. It didn't even happen here. But, it's going to happen for some. Um, there's a precious promise. The Bible's full of precious promises. As it tells us things in the scriptures. Um, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. You, you probably have many promises, if, if you know the scriptures well, you've been a Christian for a while, that you hold to and love. But I don't know too many people that, that quote this in their, in their hearts and their minds. Oh, I love this precious promise. All who want to live, a, in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Amen. I love that one. That's my, that's my hope verse. No one, no one does that. But it's true. But it's different for us. It may mean one thing like Paul and Silas, and it may mean like Timothy and Luke. Your persecution is watching your best friends be persecuted. It may mean in your schools that people say things that are hurtful to you. It may mean that relationships that you have in your family at family reunions are always kind of weird and strained. I don't, I don't know what it may look like for you. But here it says that they had beaten them with rods and inflicted many blows upon them um, and put them in the inner prison. Now, the inner prison is a little bit different in, than what would be the outer prison, obviously. Um, the inner prison was kind of more underground, more dark, stench, nasty. They didn't, you know, our fine system we have here is, is far different, so we shouldn't try to think of prisons like today. Just think of a, a room with, with maybe dirt walls, who knows, that really, really far down in the ground, probably urine smell, um, blood everywhere, nasty and gross, and it says that Paul and Silas were beaten and whipped really, really bad and then have their feet fastened in the stocks. Let me, let me read a story to you. Um, well, first, let me do this. Let me, let me read some, some things about Paul, because Paul once kind of unpacks to us some of the things that happened to him. He says this. He's talking of some of his sufferings. Now, he, he'll, he'll reference what happened here in Philippi as he lists this out. This is some of the things that happened to Paul. He's talking about... The, the things that happened with far, major, far more labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, in danger of robbers, in danger of my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure and apart from all other things there is also the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches this is what Paul's life looked like for some of us we are going to be called to the hard place the 1040 window overseas 
and we may experience suffering. There's a story of a, of a guy that lived in 1555. Um, these two men were in jail and their death was awaiting them. And one of them said to his friend the other, um, Thomas, his friend lowered his voice so as not to be heard by the guard, I have to ask you a favor. I need to know if what the others say about the grace of God is true. So others have been, have been put to death as well. And these two guys are awaiting. And he looks at his friend Thomas and he goes, I need to know if it's worth it. Tomorrow, when they burn you at the stake, if the pain is tolerable and your mind is at peace, lift your hands above your head. Do it right before you die. Thomas, I have to know. Thomas Halker whispered to his friend, I will. The next morning, Halker was bound to the stake and the fire was lit. The fire burned a long time, but Halker, Thomas Halker remained motionless. His skin was burnt to a crisp and his fingers were gone. Everyone watching, supposing he was dead. Suddenly, miraculously, Thomas lifted up his hands, still on fire. You can just picture the crowd and his friend who had been waiting and waiting and waiting. Is it going to happen? It must not be worth it. It must not be worth it. I told him to lift his hand and he, he wouldn't do it. And it says, suddenly and miraculously, Thomas lifted up his hands, still on fire over his head. He reached them up to the living God and then, with great rejoicing, started clapping together. Telling his friend, it's worth it to suffer for the name of Jesus. And it says that the crowd exploded in praises and worship for Christ. It's worth it. You can just imagine this picture. And all throughout the ages, this has been the case for people that have suffered for the name of Christ. All throughout the ages, people have been put to death for this. And for us, it might look different. But the truth is, for all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Now, here's Paul. It's, a, it's late at night. He went in to go tell people about Jesus. He had the crazy woman follow him around. In order to tell people about Jesus, he's got to feel like, all right, God, I went to a town to tell people about Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm trying to do evangelism. I, I do something that's good. It comes back to bite me. They throw me into jail. They beat me up really bad. Me and my friends, me and my friend are just laying here in this nasty, stinky, rotten prison. I'm tired. What would be your reaction? I mean, I know what my reaction would be. I would not like it. I mean, I wouldn't like it at all. As a matter of fact, I would probably let everybody there know um, my dissatisfaction with the circumstances that were going on at the time. I would say, if there was ever an occasion where I could maybe have a little bit of an attitude here, or a little bit of, what the world? I think that this might be the time. Right? Let's look at what Paul and Silas' reaction is. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Paul thinks, I got a great idea. What a great opportunity for a worship service. Let's pray. Let's sing. Go ahead, Silas, sing us out. I'll follow you. 
Here's the third one. Here's the third mark of a Christian life. Christians worship on all occasions, especially in the midst of trials and persecutions. Christians worship on all occasions. And we're going to see the the result of this worship. Now, some of us, if we're kind of new to church, when we hear the word worship, we think singing. Worship means singing. And that's what's going on here. They start praying and singing hymns. Um, Worship is singing, but it's far more than singing. So when you hear Christians were worshiping, we shouldn't just think that means that they're just singing. Because although that's part of it, and there's something unique and special as we come together as believers and sing out to God um, in a corporate sense, that is worship as, through song. But worship is far more than just that. We want to broaden our horizons to think about worship. Worship isn't just singing. It's also our entire lifestyle devoted to Jesus. Our entire lifestyle. Every decision. Whether you're going to take that job or not. Whether you're going to take this class or not. Whether you're going to marry this person or not. Whether you're going to have that conversation with your spouse or not. And if you're going to have it, how you're going to have that conversation. How you're going to discipline your children. How you're going to spend your money. All of it's worship. Christians worship on all occasions. In your deepest trial, maybe even something like this. It's not exactly like this, but all of us have gone through deepest trials. In your deepest trial, maybe it's in the future and you're not even sure it's happening yet. In your deepest trial, would you want to choose worship? Or would you use that opportunity as a time to say, if there ever was a time for me to be able to say, and I'm not saying there's not a place for saying, what the world? Sometimes things just like, how can this keep happening? Just one thing after another. But after those initial honest questions which are good, we're faced with a situation, are are we going to choose now to worship? Are we going to choose to not worship? And let this affect our, our lives as Christians. What kind of difference, here's, here's the extra question, what kind of difference would it make if you chose worship? With the inner circle around you, with the people in your workplace and things like that. In your deepest trial, whether it's happened or is coming, what would it look like for you to worship and what would be the results if you did? And how that looks um, can go a thousand different ways. I mean, there's, there's no telling of what the... The, the way things, if you worship, would happen. There's no telling. But I know that God would be honored. What could happen if you started worshiping? Let's see what happens here. It says, And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. The foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately, all the doors opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So, they're worshiping, an earthquake happens, and everybody that's in jail suddenly gets free. I mean, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm Paul and Silas, I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus, you have answered our prayer, I'm getting out of here. Um, <clears throat> but look what happens here. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, he knew that if all these people escape... All that's going to happen is that I'm going to die. Like, they're just going to say, all your prison, it was your watch. I don't care that an earthquake happened. Yeah, earthquake, earthquake, whatever. It's your fault. They got out. Um, so you're dead. So he just thinks, well, I'm just going to go ahead and kind of get to the, get to the deal faster for them. I'm just going to go ahead and kill myself. 
Um, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice. This is so awesome. Cried out with a loud voice. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And it says, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Can you even picture, like, he's about to kill himself. He know that he deserves to die because it was his watch. And all of a sudden, one of the prisoners, the people who are worshiping, and it's no accident that we know this prisoner guard heard them worshiping. And so all that kind of mixed in with they were worshiping, an earthquake happens, we know that they just got beat, they don't run away, and here we are. And he walks up, trembling, falls down in front of them, and then he brought them out and said, he didn't say, I mean, what question would you ask? Why didn't you run? Maybe he asked that, but this is what Luke tells us he asked. The first question that Luke tells us is, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Kind of pulling off three. When worship happens around you, in in the worst times, in the worst circumstances, if we choose worship, the result can be people coming up to you and, and seeing that and saying, what must I do to be saved? I mean, straightforward. Like, here it is. I'm ready. I'm ready to give my my life to Christ. And then Paul, in one of the easiest gospel presentations in the world said to him and they said to the to the jailer believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved you and your household here's the fourth thing here's the fourth thing that kind of marks a christian life is when unbelievers are around christians evangelism should naturally happen now this isn't just a one-time occasion in the book of acts whenever we see believers getting together living in community with one another and living filled with the Spirit and unbelievers are around them, it says that they became Christians. It's just kind of the pattern of the New Testament, chapter after chapter after chapter. When unbelievers are around Christians, evangelism, and and I'm just saying evangelism, I'm not even saying conversion because I know that's the work of God. I'm just saying evangelism happens. I know you can't convert someone. But you can, and let me just define the word evangelism. Evangelism is telling someone about Jesus. Telling someone the gospel. Telling someone the good news about how to be saved. That's evangelism. So when unbelievers are around Christians, evangelism should naturally happen. No matter what the cost is, no matter what the problem is, no matter what what the circumstances are in your life, if you choose to worship in the worst times, or even, you know what, if you're choosing to worship and, and things are great, Unbelievers that are around you, there should be multiple opportunities for you to have evangelism with them. The jailer's face, I'm assuming, and I'm just, I'm just guessing here, um, is, is got to be, when it, whenever we choose to worship, and as I said, there's people around us that, that have this look of terror because they're lost and they don't even understand. Whenever we start telling people about Christ, whenever we start telling them, we're looking for someone who has that, that look, that they know something's not right in their life. They have things going on where they know they need Christ. It's, there's, this, there's this angst in their heart. I know things aren't right with me. How is it that you have this joy? How is it that you have this peace? What is going on in your life? Like the kids at Carowinds. And if you choose to worship, you have opportunities to change through, of course, God. For them to have their eternal destiny changed. 
So as we're going into the season, I just want to kind of pull back and think, all right, there's, there's four kind of things that should be happening in our life. Maybe not all at once, but these things are marks of Christian lives. As we're going through life, the first one is that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. As we're going through life, we should see evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit is in our life, which is ascertained or which is, which is grabbed on by knowing the love of Christ. You are let, allowing yourself, you're, you're filling yourself with the things of Christ, the love of Christ in His Scriptures continually so that you may be filled. So as we're going into the fall, as we're going into this new season for yourself, are you going to seek out the love of Christ in the Scriptures in order to be f- filled with the Holy Spirit, in order to see some really awesome things happen? The next one is this. Knowing that, if you're going to make this decision, there may be times of persecution and suffering. And we don't, we don't run from those. I'm not saying that we, we run towards suffering. If we choose <clears throat> to just say, all right, what I want to do is run towards suffering, because if I run towards suffering, then that makes me feel good. That makes me feel like I'm really suffering for Jesus. Well, that actually serves yourself. That doesn't serve God. So we don't, we're not looking for it. It's as we're going through life, if it happens, and it's not going to happen like it's like this. It's going to happen in different ways. I know that. But as it comes, you can say, surely, as Job 1 even tells us, the Lord gave, the Lord taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is not just kind of random, perchance things that are happening to me. God has brought these things about in my life for some reason. Will I choose to persevere through it? Third one is this. Will you choose to worship in all occasions? No matter the circumstances, will you choose to worship? Because if we do, fourth one, evangelism can happen. Which one of these four do maybe you need to pray through? Which one of these four, as you're going into a new school season or a new work season or a new, new season in your life, as we're focusing in for this month of August, asking God to use us? And if he doesn't, we still say he's great. But if he does, which one of these can we be praying about? Is it we need to be more thinking about being filled with the Holy Spirit? We need to worship more. We need to, okay, if persecution comes, I'm okay. Or is it, I need to just find myself telling people the gospel more that don't know Jesus? I'm not saying all four of them are going to happen in your life. Just think about one, and if the Holy Spirit's kind of, kind of pushing in on one, don't turn away and run away and say, I, I, don't want, I don't even think about it, God. Listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. The Holy Spirit um, may convict, but always comforts. He always comforts. God loves you. He's not angry. He loves you. He wants your best. He wants Christ to be number one supreme in your affections, which is always your highest joy. So he's seeking your highest joy. So as we're, we're going into worship here, um, we're going to do a little bit different kind of response time today. Um, we're going to worship for a couple songs and then take the Lord's Supper. And then in response to that, worship for another couple songs. And so as we're going into here... Um, Maybe you want to stand and sing with us right away for this first time. Maybe you want to think and pray. I, I want to invite you, however the Holy Spirit's leading you, to think and pray. Maybe you need to pray through one of these four things right now. Um, maybe you just want to stand. I'm going to come up after a couple songs, and then we'll go into our time of Lord's Supper where I facilitate that. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll worship through song. And I just ask, however the Holy Spirit's leading you, I want to ask that you would be obedient to it. After service, um, we'll have some people down front that if you want to, you want to talk, you want to pray, 
um, please do that. If you need to talk right now during these during these times of worship through song, come find me right up front. I'll be, I, I would love to be able to have a conversation with you and talk with you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your love that you've given to us in Christ Jesus. I thank you that we can, we can worship you. I thank you that we can look at your scriptures and have um, examples of us like Paul who, even though they're, they're not perfect, they're not you, they're people that we can look at and as we see how they were walking through life, that there were, there were principles that were being shown to us in the scriptures that maybe as we, we go into a time now where we can be thinking, where can I improve? Where can I um, focus on Christ more? What do I need to change? And so I just pray for myself, God, as the Holy Spirit is leading me and, think, and, and showing me places I need to pray about. I pray for my friends, God, that not only would you convict and, and show this place needs improvement, that you would comfort because you love us. You're our Father who loves us and you send the Holy Spirit to comfort us as well. And that we wouldn't look at these things as, as rules we have to keep from a God who's angry at us because you're never angry at us if we're in Christ Jesus. But things we get to walk in because we find Christ our highest joy. Be with us now as we worship, Father. Through song, through the Lord's Supper, even, and even through giving later. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.